Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Citizens Advisory Podcast presented by the Citizens Advisory Pennsylvania. Um, I'm Jess Stolnecker, Executive Director, and I am joined by a very special guest this morning, um, Allie Warner. Allie, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to give you a little intro. Um, she is a mom. She's a wife. She works full time and she is the chapter chair for Moms for Liberty in Northampton County, Pennsylvania. Um, she is someone who cares very deeply about the education system, how it's serving parents and students. And she really is committed to driving transparency and um, just strongly supporting parents' rights um, in their upbringing of their children. Um, I love that because I think that that's why we work so well together with a lot of the Moms for Liberty chapters, because those are um, very important values to us as well. Um, she is really determined to help highlight the deficiencies that got us to where we are now. And I love the word that you used in your bio and to help activate others because we use that word all the time. Um, you probably heard it on this podcast. Parents need to be activated to work together to support the success of our kids in school, no matter what your school choice is, whether it's homeschool, whether it's public school, whether it's um, private school, it is important that we have parents that are involved with their kids' education. So um, thank you so much, Allie, for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. I'm happy to be um, here. We, Allie is so great. And I just want to give a shout out also to, um, she has some data. We're going to share some data today regarding academic excellence. So that is one of our eight priorities as an organization is to make sure that we're holding schools to that standard of academic excellence. And we have not done a podcast on this yet. So I think this is going to be really good for parents to see um, sort of where we're trending in Pennsylvania. And um, Allie's friend has compiled um, quite a bit of data that they've used in the last, I don't know, year or so to kind of um, bring this to light to, to other parents. And so we are going to share that data with you today. We're going to talk about it a little bit, and um, we're going to tell you what to pay attention to. Um, so we have, and I'm going to share my screen. Um, I don't know, Allie, do you want to shout out your friend who put this data together? Because this is probably a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um, so one of our chapter members, um, her, I'll just, her first name is Jennifer. Mm -hmm. Um, she has a, an amazing, um, command of data and data analysis. Um, what she did was she actually went to the Pennsylvania department of education's website and started to look for um, test result data for the state required standardized tests, which would be the PSSAs, I think in this case for, for these charts. Um, and she even worked with the office to, to, to get a full, um, file of raw data for every single school district across the state. Wow. Um, from there, <clears throat> she was able to create slides like this one that you're sharing, um, which show overall performance for, you know, Pennsylvania schools. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, we can drill down to a particular district and show these exact same numbers. So um, this tool that she's built is 
really amazing. Um, huge kudos to her. Um, I think for her, it is a lot of work, but it would probably be 10 times more for us. So we're really appreciative of her efforts. Um, Absolutely. Because, because it does, it, it really does tell a great um, story and, and hopefully we'll be, you know, I'm looking forward to sharing some, some points about this, um, about this data. Yes. So what we're looking at right now um, is 2023. Um, so that's where we are currently. Um, these are the PSSA uh, English language arts and math results from uh, the 2023 testing window, which was, you know, spring, probably winter, spring of last year. Um, and just looking at these numbers, we've got third graders who are, we've got 46%, almost half of third graders not proficient in ELA. We've got 48% of third graders not proficient in math. Again, almost half. Um, I have some thoughts about that because, but Unfortunately, we're looking at the whole picture here, and it seems to be a trend, especially in ELA, um, third through eighth grade, which I'm looking at third grade because I know my third grader was a COVID kindergartner. So he had his wow. first year of schooling, um, kindergarten, he was online the almost the whole entire year. So there I can see maybe where there's a little bit of a gap, but it looks the same basically for fourth grade, fifth grade. So, you know what I mean? It's not really changing very much. In, um, so we can blame COVID all we want, but the numbers don't lie. Um, and then PA students not proficient in math. Um, we see a little bit of a gap there from the fourth and the fifth graders down to the third graders. It's it's interesting because I'm trying to think back where they were during those COVID years. Right. Um, but the 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 fact of the matter is is that the scores are declining. Um, I want to look at the trends from 2015 through mm -hmm. 2023, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the <clears throat> historical monumental changes in education that started in 2016. So, um, Allie, do you want to just try to <clears throat> decipher some of this data? Sure. Um, would you mind going to slide four? I think sure. that one is, um, yes. this one is a, is a good, um, it's a little bit bigger so people can see it. Um, so this slide shows um, two specific grades <clears throat> for English language arts, right? So this is their PSSA scores across Pennsylvania. Um, as this is a snapshot in time, grade four and grade eight. Mm -hmm. You can see the blue bar on the far left is the, are the 2015 test results. Okay. Um, so you can see 2015, the, these and these bars represent failure trends. So these are the percentage of students not proficient. And for anybody that's not familiar with the PSSAs, there are four scores that mm -hmm. um, it's like a four scale um, scoring methodology. And there's, I, I think one of them is below proficient, proficient. I think it's basic. Thank you. It's below basic. That's the lowest. Below basic. Below basic, basic. Basic. 
proficient and advanced. Um, Thank you. And proficient is what we're going for here. Like, so there's a specific, you know, score that these kids really like in order to say they've learned the material and they are Mm -hmm. proficient in the subject matter and they've reached all of those standards, right. That they Mm -hmm. were to reach, they would have to score proficient. Anything less than that indicates a failure of some sort in that subject matter. So you're absolutely right. Like we're, we're looking for that proficiency in order to continue on basically in, in the schooling. Yes, exactly. So these bars represent the number of the percentage of students that scored at um, basic and below. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, what would be very interesting, I don't think we have this data, but I think I'm going to look for it now, now that I'm thinking about it, um, is the, you know, what, what could have been, and maybe you have to look at this at a district level for it to be more meaningful, but what are the average scores for students in these grades for their regular academic performance um, on curriculum that's administered in the district? Yeah. Does that match up to the PSSAs? Because, you know, some kids are not great at taking tests. Some kids are. How effective is the PSSA at really assessing <clears throat> excuse me, the proficiency level, all those things aside, um, to see this trend to go from 23% to 41%, nearly double um, from 2005. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong one. Um, for those grades to be that much worse and the entire, you know, eighth grade. Um, yeah. The jump like, from fourth grade in the Thank amount you. of failure to eighth grade is substantial. Yes. Um, and I think that it's compounded. Yeah. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we know that a lot of subjects, um, I, again, many of you know that I taught um, high school biology for 18 years in the public school system. Um, a lot of these subject areas, specifically ELA and math, I mean, they're cumulative. If you don't understand, if you can't comprehend something in fourth grade and you continue to be, um, you know, pushed through the system, so continue to proceed to the next grade and then the next grade, but you're still like, you're struggling, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Then that's, I think, where that gap is coming from, where you're mm-hmm. starting, you know, you've got your fourth graders who are, you know, 23 of percent or 20, you know, between 23 and 26% are um, below basic or below. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you jump up to eighth grade and you've got, I mean, it looks like this is like almost half. This is like 48, this is 49.2% yes. in 2021, which again, that was a COVID year. Um, but you've got them at almost half yeah. Or not proficient or better. That's right. That's right. And I, and I think that, um, so the, the trends, if you, if you can go back to the first slide, the trends are, um, where we're ending up in terms of this year, um, I think are, it's good to look at it over time, but when we look at how shocking this, these numbers are, um, we have to ask ourselves, okay, um, what was the percentage of students that opted out of these tests? Actu- in actuality, um, because we did ask the P- Pennsylvania Department of Education, it was a very small amount, and those um, were not um, 
reflected here. So this shows you, this is not skewed by student, a number of students that did not take it. Right. Um, and so that, you know, there may be administrators that want to say that, oh no, it's not so bad. We just had so many people opt out. Um, that is a very small percentage of people. Um, not to mention there are core academic standards that any parent and teacher, anybody can access on the Pennsylvania Department of Education's website. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to understand what are the students supposed to know and achieve in grade, you know, one through 12 in any given core subject that there are academic standards for, mm -hmm. it's clear. Um, you know, many of these assignments that come home to children, there's a rubric. I, we didn't have that when we were kids, but there's a rubric. If you want to get a four on this assignment or, you know, in order to do this well, this here's a scale and what we're going to use to evaluate you. That was um, a big even, thing in when I was, you know, towards the end of my career, um, I left teaching in 2019, but those last few years, really, we we honed in on those focus correction areas and rubrics and mm -hmm. making sure students really understood what was expected of them. And I think that that, you know, that helped us even with our our standardized test scores. But um, you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Parents can access that at any time on mm -hmm. the Department of Ed website. Yes. Parents can also request to see their child's curriculum to get an understanding. Um most children's curriculum is administered on electronic devices. So you may have to go through your child's login, but if you wanted to see some of the learning resources, videos, help, um, like learning aids, oftentimes those can be accessed and um, the administration and the curriculum directors will have already um, confirmed that those sets of curriculum meet the academic standards. So, when when we think about this and kind of take a step back and we say why are these scores so bad when when we're dovetailing standards curriculum learning aids rubrics um it still makes us scratch our head and say what what really is contributing to this um and maybe it's not just one thing I, I don't think it is. I think it's a number of different things. Um, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ideas that we have and some of, I mean, and they're all based on research. In fact, we're not just throwing out like, you know, ideas from nowhere. We we have some background knowledge of them. Um, anything else we want to look at data wise before we start kind of diving into why we think these trends are what they are? Yeah. Um, just one minute let me just check because i know we did send you so much information yes. um <clears throat> one other thing i think is probably going to be helpful for people is if you could go to the very last slide it's slide number 10 um this is a new way of reporting so just a little note about the data so each year parents will get a letter in about the third week of september from the Department of Education. It's it's two pieces of paper, it's a letter, and it's your child's PSSA scores from the spring. Yes. And um, I mean, it's still on my desk. I still have it here. Look, I'm still studying it. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So normally that data in bulk 
is also released in September. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think this year's delay in releasing these numbers had something to do with the election Mm -hmm. because this data was not released until after last Tuesday. Um, so we've been, you know, not just moms for Liberty, but other, you know, other groups that are concerned about parents, children, education have been highlighting performance and we, we really can't ignore this. Um, so that's one little tidbit for people to keep in mind. However, when the new reports did come out last week, there's a lot more, um, I guess you could say attributes that have been reported. So they're, they're showing you all students, they're showing you economically disadvantaged. I do think they go into different, um, um, like sub populations, whether it's race or gender, or, you know, criteria like that Again, all can be found on PDE's website. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, um, these other two, so these three groups here from economically disadvantaged to the right, they'll also show you, you know, which children have IEPs that took the PSSAs. Um, now I, I'm not an expert in that, but if you wanted to understand how, you know, certain populations are doing, you now can, at least for 2023 data, you can, you can look at it um, in more detail. So and honestly, like the trend isn't good. Like it doesn't matter. No. What, I mean, again, it, it doesn't matter what population you're looking at. The trend is not good. Um, right. So it's very interesting because I know as a teacher, um, we used to have initiatives like every year that came down from PDE, right? It was like this initiative and this initiative. And, you know, and now we're going to do this one. And every year was something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have to wonder, are all these initiatives just taking away from the core of what we need to be teaching? So I want to bring it back to 2016. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop sharing. Do you think we're good with the data for now? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I know that we started this whole idea of social emotional learning, um, back in 2016, um, Mm -hmm. instituted starting in like 2017. And while I believe that there are many students who need, you know, who need support with mental health and behavior and things like that. I, I realize that we're living in a tough time right now. I, I realize that not all parents are heavily involved in their kids' lives. I, I understand that. I, I worked in an economically disadvantaged school district for the first part of my career. I've seen it. Um, But I have to wonder if we're really doing them a service by pulling away from the core of like academic excellence. I I think, I think teachers I know are very overwhelmed with all the extras that they have to do. Um, Mm -hmm. and it takes away quite frankly from the subject matter. And I just, that's my perception. I appreciate you confirming that because I think that's what you're saying. A lot of what parents, I mean, sorry, teachers teaching today do not have the ability to speak out on, um, there's, you know, just the way that 
people are and the organization of communities in Pennsylvania, many of where these districts, if not all, um, with a few exceptions, are in very small, close-knit towns. So to speak out and say, you know, this isn't working and it's taking away from what I feel I really got into this profession for mm -hmm. is, is like career suicide for yeah. teachers. Um, and then add the small town aspect where, you know, nobody's going to snitch on anything because they don't want to be um, ostracized in their community. And now they're suffering in silence. And, and what, what I would love to also highlight is you've got the changes that happened between 2015 and 2016, which were basically we went from the no child left behind uh, education legislation from the Bush administration, mm -hmm. and it was changed what midway through the Obama administration's time um, to the Every Student Succeeds Act. And when that switched, you saw the introduction of Common Core, mm -hmm. um, or at least an emphasis and possibly you know, require having a requirement for it in by, in state laws, um, the requirements for social emotional learning, and then all of the reporting. So yes, as these teachers' time in their day has been encroached upon to satisfy these big government agencies, um, not only are they being stressed and more is demanded of them, but it is taking time away. If you look at it from a parent's perspective, some parents may say, well, that's great because I need the school to take care of things because mm -hmm. I'm busy working, making ends meet. Mm -hmm. um, but I think parents are standing up. Parents are realizing this, this, there's something uncomfortable about this. And I don't know exactly what it is. I just know that everything seems broken and I don't know what I can do to help or change it. Um, and so the first, sometimes the first reaction is to blame somebody else. Yeah. I think all of that is so, so true. Um, and we just talked about what happened in 2015, 2016 with the switch in the legislation, but mm -hmm. let's even talk about the COVID years. I mean, we, we saw a lot come down with the, um, the ESSER funds. So like the emergency rescue money that the school districts got and mm -hmm. what they were supposed to do with that money impacted a lot of the programs in schools. And then they ran out. So a lot of that, let me just clarify, um, a lot of the ESSER funds were supposed to be used for health and safety, but also for um, social emotional learning, safe spaces, mental health, all mm -hmm. those things. Okay. I get it. We went through a traumatic event. <laughs> we're, we're trying to help these kids cope. Okay. However, um, a lot of districts put in all kinds of crazy different committees and and policies and programs and all these things. Then the money ran out. Mm -hmm. Now what do they do, right? So, but again, I know we were looking at different apps that schools were getting to check in on their their uh, students' um, emotional state that day. That was a, like a, a you know they were it was supposed to be like a two minute survey in the beginning of every day. But like before you I can access the the content. Correct. And what about all of the red flags? Like, or are the kids taking it seriously? Are they answering correctly? What's actually happening? Then the red flags, who deals with that? 
school districts do not have the capacity to deal with every single little issue. They just don't like they're not home. So I think we, we, we've been, teachers will tell you, we've been pulling away from core academics um, into all of these other little facets of the whole child, but at the expense of what you're seeing here in these test scores. Again, again, testing is not the end all be all too. And I, I just want to say that as a former teacher, right? Like we, you know, but there does need to be some way of measuring if these kids are learning something. So as much as we hate to teach to the test or we hate the tests themselves and how much time let me just tell you, that takes a lot of instructional time away from teachers too. Just administering the tests takes a ton of instructional time. Um, and I know when I was teaching biology, not to go down like a rabbit hole, but we, our tests were the third week in like, well, the second week in May is when we would give our cumulative like keystone exam to our biology students. Well, then mm-hmm. we had to fit in our entire curriculum a month before school ended. You know, so there's just, there's a lot of flaws. Again, I don't think, like Mm -hmm. like you said in the beginning, I don't think it's any one thing that's contributing. I think it's a lot of different things that are contributing. And I Mm -hmm. think it really is important that parents do start to pay attention. I agree. Um, You know, it's, so for the last seven years, teachers have been really, um, stretch thin in trying to meet all these requirements. Um, and then even earlier this year, there was legislation passed in PA that puts a little bit more um, oomph um, to their licensure renewals, I would say, unless you're a new teacher, where they're expecting these teachers to agree with a certain ideology and to agree to teach it. Um, so you've got that as well. Mm-hmm. But parents, after going through COVID, they're still exhausted, right? There's probably a lot of issues that we as parents are also trying to work through and manage through the effects of that. It, it, so we're all tired. The kids are tired. You, now you've got new problems. And just like someone who hasn't eaten in a couple hours, and now all of a sudden when something isn't going well, the reaction is that much more inflamed. And I think the the better resources we can give parents, teachers, anybody that cares about immediately your own children, our community and the future, because our children are our future, Absolutely. then the better equipped people will be to work through these issues. Um, we're not going to change all of the state laws in, you know, one year, but being aware that a lot of this you know, these requirements are coming through because of the, they're included in PA codes and regulations is important. It helps you understand, okay, so then you can actually look at your school district and say, okay, if I know that they need to teach social emotional learning, but it seems like it's really taking up so much time and they won't let my child access their applications unless they start answering these questions and it's in everything, maybe it's time to start asking some more questions just to gain an understanding way before you're critical of anybody. Um, If you happen to have a school district that isn't pushing it, they're almost going along and checking off the box. Well, 
maybe now you know that that's that maybe that's not contributing to the issue. Maybe there's something else that you could be uncovering. So there's ways to kind of approach this, but it's um, you need patience. You need to be um, forgiving um, Mm -hmm. and flexible. Um, And you need to be open to learning because if, if you go in thinking, you know, it all, and this is how it needs to change, you're probably going to be disappointed. So, well, also I think that, you know, so for me, I loved high school. Like I loved my school. I loved playing sports for my school. You know, the school would like, I loved football games on Friday nights. Like I loved all those things. Right. And I just feel like schools really are, they're like the lifeblood of the community. Right. So I think especially during COVID, we got to a point where like people were yelling at each other at these school board meetings and right. Like, so we're like yelling and it's not productive and we've got a lot of heated conversations, all this stuff. But I think you're absolutely right. You're onto something, Allie, because I think we do need to start looking as a community at how can we get back to academic excellence? you know, supporting our kids without taking away from what the school is there to do, which is to provide a solid education Um, and doing it in a way that's diplomatic and that's conversational and that's open-minded to be able to exactly to learn, um, you know, what are some of these school boards and some of these administrators up against? Because we know it all comes from the top. It all does. So I think that was such a good point. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Um, so the things that I'm, you know, thinking about um, when I look at the scores and I consider the just what I know about my district and even my own experience as a parent, um, according to my research and looking at the Pennsylvania Department of Education's website, that scoring um, methodology for PSSAs is a great example. Yep. Proficient in the state of Pennsylvania is scoring an 80% or higher. So if you take that as a general guide Mm -hmm. and you apply that to, you know, the PSSAs or the individual um, quizzes, assignments, tests that your child takes during the year, if your child is still technically passing, but is passing below an 80 there's a good chance they're going to struggle when they get to the next grade. Mm-hmm. So the things that parents can do um, now as a full-time, you know, a, a mom and well, sorry, full-time employee and then mom and all these other things um, it is not easy. You know, I'll fit my bike ride in when I can, it could be late at night. It could be early in the morning, but understanding your, child what they're dealing with working together with the school to understand what they're seeing and then asking for the support that their child needs is paramount yes last year I could have let my son you know kind of eke through um with a very low grade in a particular subject um I had a meeting this summer I met with some folks in the administration who were not only were they attentive but they had done the work before the meeting. They knew that my son, he, through their research and talking to the past teacher, he understood the concepts. He just didn't have good test-taking skills and wanted to be first. Now, that's probably because he was allowed to play 
a video game when he was done with the test, which I have issues with, but, Mm -hmm. um, but once we figured that out, we were able to get somebody to help him in the school and he's currently receiving that support now. Now, yeah, I had to make a couple of phone calls. Um, we still look at homework every night. We check it. We help him develop good study habits. We've been studying for a Friday test since Monday, just mm-hmm. quizzing him on vocab words. But this, for parents that think the school can just take care of it, I don't, I don't think that is teamwork. As parents, we need to pay more attention. It's not. And honestly, I, you know, I've said this before, teachers are overwhelmed. Um, in our district, we actually let go um, of quite a few teachers last year for financial reasons. And I know that their class sizes are huge right now. So I know that there's uh, there are class sizes that are upwards of around 30 kids in a room. And so that's a lot. And if you aren't paying attention to your own child's progress, um, their needs, and you're not, you know, involved with getting that support that, that your child needs, like they very well will fall through the cracks. The way things are right now, in my district, at least they will. So I think that that is so important to stress and emphasize that, you know, we, in, in an ideal world, yes, we would just be in a utopia, like, okay, children go off to your beautiful school with your wonderful teachers and, you know, trust them for seven hours a day to provide them with the education that we're expecting. But that's not reality. And it's not anybody, like you said, it's not any one person's fault. It's not, I, I'm so grateful for my children. Like both, all of my kids have phenomenal teachers. I, I, they've had great teachers. I am so thankful for that. But I think it's important to understand that you have to be involved as a parent and you have to ask questions you have to be going to school board meetings to understand what policies are being passed. You have to look at their mm-hmm. scores. You have to, I mean, you know, we have all this data um, that, you know, has been compiled. I'm sure there's a way that maybe if you want to look at it for yourself, we can get it to them, maybe. Absolutely. Yep. We can share it with you if you'd like to, if you'd like to have that data, um, just to take a look and I mean, maybe get familiar with the Department of Education's website on your own, you know? Um, so I just think that it's so important to emphasize that we have to have parental involvement in education. It's a team effort. Um, and if we're going to raise these these test scores, if we're going to um, to stop this trend of kids becoming less and less proficient, um, you know, we have to work together on that. So um can you talk a little bit about Moms for Liberty? Because you are the chair in your county. Um, we're trying to, I, there are some counties in Pennsylvania that still don't have a Moms for Liberty chapter, but you guys are doing amazing work. I know you get a bad rap in the media, but honestly, moms like you, Allie, are what we need. So I am, I'm so happy to be working alongside of you guys. And um, if you can just tell people how they can get involved with Moms for Liberty, I, I would love that. Sure. Yes. Thank you. And thank you. We um, appreciate what your organization is doing. Um, I think we actually complement each other really nicely. And um, anytime people want to get involved, it is a good thing, um, especially these days when when we've got a million things going on. So Moms for Liberty is, for anybody that's not familiar, is an organization that started two years ago. Um, some moms in Florida who had been school board members um, felt what many of us felt when our children were masked and these some of these kind of 
strange um, edicts were thrown down from from our state governments and the federal government. So they decided to do something about it. And their focus and our focus, our mission is um, empowering parents to defend um, their rights over their children's upbringing and education at all levels. And that includes government, so school, but it also includes medically, you know, uh, you know, for medical issues too, which is now starting to kind of overlap schools if your school's bringing in more medical services. Oh, so um, Moms for Liberty has over 130,000 members. We are at over 300 chapters in 48 states. And Pennsylvania happens to be um, the second most, um, has the second most number of chapters outside of Florida. So we are growing fast. We'd love for people that are interested to learn about us. Um, we are not just moms that go to school board meetings and <clears throat> and um, like just look around and sit there and be quiet. Um, our, our motto is that we are joyful warriors. Um, we do not engage in um, behavior that does not add to a solution. Um, we are professionals. We are moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. You can find the national website at www.momsforliberty.org. And from there, there's actually a great amount of information um, that you can access not being a member. However, we'd love for you to join us. And one way you can find a chapter in your county, because that's how we're set up, one chapter to one county, is go to that website and go to chapters find my chapter and then you can kind of start by clicking on your state and then finding your, your county that way. Awesome. And um, I will say the county that I live in, if I had more time, but I, I mean, now with what I do with our organization, I can't really, but our county does not have a chapter in Luzerne County. We do not have a Moms for Liberty chapter. So if anybody listening is looking to get yeah. involved. We would love to support you in creating a new Moms for Liberty chapter in Luzerne County. Um, so absolutely, we could help you even answer questions about what it's like. Just let us know. Yes. So thank you so much for that. And then um, obviously they can find your chapter, which is Northumberland, right? Northumberland County. No, it's actually Northampton. North North yeah, Northumberland okay. is. That's where my husband's from. Um, Northampton County. So um, there's a Facebook page um, that we will put in the comments and then in the notes for this episode. Um, you can find that chapter on Twitter. Do we call it Twitter anymore? Is it X? Do I don't know. What are we yeah, calling it? I still X, call it Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Um, but it's at M4LNORCO. So Norco at the end. Um, right. they, you guys also have a podcast, which is amazing. Um, and so that's at, uh, www.momsforliberty.org slash podcast. You can listen to their podcasts. Um, I think that just all this information sharing and this cooperative, um, work that organizations like yours and ours are doing is so good for parents. I know I felt like a helpless parent during 2020 and 2021, I felt helpless. I did not know what to do. I just knew what was happening to my kids. I was not happy about, I was, I, so to have 
action-taking organizations that are doing it, like you said, in a way that is respectable and you're joyful warriors and you're doing it in a way that is not combative. Um, I just think it's amazing. So thank you for all of the work that you've done. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate your time, Allie. Thank you so much. This was my pleasure. And um, just a reminder, you all can find Citizens Advisory at citizensadvisorypa.com. That's our website on Facebook and X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, Citizens Advisory of PA. Um, Don't forget to like, subscribe, share this podcast. We really want to get it in the hands of parents. We want to encourage parents to get involved with their child's education. Um, And a reminder that if you're watching on YouTube, you can also listen on all of the major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. So we're going to wrap it up. But again, thanks, Allie. This has been so much fun. And I really appreciate your work. Thank you.